Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Mr. Beacon, the podcast for entrepreneurs, location-aware IoT solution designers. My name is Steve Statler of Williot. Mobile apps are fundamental to an increasing number of businesses. Four years ago, less than 10% of companies had a mobile app strategy. Now, in a recent survey, 90% of people said their companies have a mobile app strategy. And yet, Building mobile apps remains challenging. The failure rate is astronomically high. With so much riding on it, how do you make mobile apps successful? This week, we talk about the keys to success with the CEO of Funware, a company that provides the technology in over 1,000 apps, touching over 700 million users every month. Whether you're building apps or you're relying on someone else to do it for you, I think you'll find our conversation interesting. So, Alan Natowski, CEO of Funware, uh, thanks very much for doing the show. I appreciate you coming along. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, um, so this week, I want to talk about apps. And, you know, in, in a way, apps just seem so obvious. They, we're using them all the time. But as an entrepreneur, uh, where you're making a business case, um, and I was actually in this situation just earlier this week, and for us purveyors of location technology, um, and, you know, the related technology that sits underneath apps, you have to answer questions about whose apps should you be integrating with? Can apps be successful? And you've made a business out of enabling other people's apps. And so I thought, what, a, what better person to speak to uh, than, than you? And you really have, you've been at this for quite a long time. It seems like over eight years. And your technology is in some amazing apps for Fox, NBC Sports, NFL, WWE, the AT&T Stadium, and also um, you've had a bunch of awards, uh, Webby's, and you've been in Forbes and Inc. So first of all, just congratulations for flourishing in what is a very challenging environment. But maybe we should start off with you uh, explaining what your company does. Sure. So uh, Funware, actually, the name came from a play on the word Funware with an F instead of a PH. And that actually means applications that exhibit game-like mechanics and behavior. So we have a lot of uh, interesting things in how we wanted to think about radically changing the way people engaged in what I call the era of mobile computing. Uh, We literally said the idea at first was, 
how do we reach every human being on the planet with a device connected to a network that uses mobile applications? Um, effectively using the identities of corporate America, predominantly the Fortune 5000, and what you were basically gonna use is that identity on these anytime, anywhere audiences through mobile devices. So Funware was really set up that if we did what we thought we could do correctly, uh, when you thought about technology, we wanted you to think there was hardware, software, firmware, and funware. And what we did is went after the entire mobile ecosystem. That meant applications, the media that you use to build, engage, and monetize audiences, and then all of the data behind it so people could not only make smarter decisions about the subsequent versions and operating systems and devices in terms of what those applications did, but they could also use that data to understand how to optimize the interactions and engagements with people so that they were delighted, excited, and were able to effectively preserve or enhance the amount of money they could make through these mobile audiences. So it sounds like you've got a lot of tools and technology that can plug into other people's apps to, to, mm -hmm. to gamify them and do the analytics and many other things that we'll talk about. Do you actually just create soup to nuts apps as well? Yeah, so what we have set ourselves up to do is when we started Funware, only 2% of the world's internet traffic was mobile. Today, um, it's 70%. And even worse, 90% of that traffic that represents the internet is now not just mobile, but it's in applications, not browsers like Safari or Chrome. So what's gotten very obvious now, you know, mobile first, uh, native first, fully integrated, all these wonderful things. Uh, back in February of 2009 when we started, you know, there wasn't even but maybe five uh, enterprise applications even on the App Store. And what was on there was kind of either games or God forbid a fart machine, it was crazy stuff. Um, it was not the identities of corporate America. I think the closest enterprise application back in the time we started Funware was a Bic lighter where you could actually swipe um, the screen on an iPhone and it would light the lighter at, like you were at a concert. That that was what an app was. And we never really believed that that's what the market would be. We thought this is really going to be about business to business. It's going to be about providing all the software that was necessary. So if you like to build your own applications, we would look like ingredients for people making amazing cake. Uh, and then for everybody else that were not really a do-it-yourselfer to make applications, but were kind of an off-the-shelfer that wanted to have solutions and kind of be able to not figure out how to be a baker with all these ingredients, but they just said, I like to eat cake. Give me cake with chocolate or vanilla or sprinkles. And we wanted to provide both options. And what we found by being very agnostic to saying, like, if you like to build, we're a platform. If you like to buy or lease, depending on if you have a small or big budget, we'll happily do that for you as well. And we can license you something you can use as your branded identity, typically starting with iOS and Android smartphones. But ultimately, we support every screen other than legacy kind of desktop. So that means smartphones, tablets, smart television, wearables, in-car infotainment, and other forms of digital sign. So um, what proportion of your revenue comes from kind of the platform providing these ingredients and, and what proportion of your revenue comes from someone that just says, hey, we're an airport, give me an app? Sure. So on a 
I guess an overall basis, uh, over 90% of all of our revenues are either subscriptions or transactions. So the subscription side of our business would look like SaaS, we call it MaaS, started as mobile as a service, evolved into multi-screen as a service. And that would look exactly like you would think about Amazon AWS, if all Amazon AWS did were Fortune 5000 mobile application portfolios. Mm -hmm. The other side of the business, transactions, are really dealing with media buying. And it looks a lot like Facebook, and for the same reasons. Based on the size, scale, and reach of who the audiences are, people buy media so that you can do application discovery, user acquisition, you build the audience, and after you build it, then you use media buying to engage and monetize it. So in our world, on a bookings basis, think of it about two-third, one-third subscription to transaction, with over 90% of all of that being subscriptions and transaction, very minute amount of services, single digit. But on a revenue recognition, it's inverted. Two-third transaction, one-third subscription, basically. And the reason for that is, uh, you know, when, when we use a Visa or a MasterCard, you swipe your card and you bought something. So the bookings and the billings and the revenue are all one and the same and it happened right now. But when you license software over one to five years, typically you would win a deal and then you would put it into backlog and then you actually would recognize that typically over 12 to 60 months, depending on if you have a one to five year software licensing contract. And that's kind of how the nature of our business works. It's like Amazon AWS on one side, Facebook on the other, and overwhelmingly, we just try to focus on winning the bookings game because the revenue game is a lot more about a gap accounting and scorekeeping of when you can recognize that which you already won. So if, if I am a venue um, that, that needs an app, um, if I'm an airport, how much should I expect to budget to, to build an app? So typically I say when you are building very high end and lots of semi-custom and custom extensions, um, you'll see people spend, to do it the right way, I'm going to call it, you'll, you'll see them spend one to five million dollar budgets to do something that is really high end and custom. We have, uh, you know, media customers that might spend seven digits per month for the entire year to keep up with all of the various uh, mobile identities that go along with what you would see for their networks or their shows, whether that's the sports side the news side, the media side, the internet side. Um, when you're dealing with like airports and others, often you'll see that instead of buying the Ferrari at one to five million, they'll lease the Ferrari for one to 500,000. So it's their brand, it's their content, but at the end of the day, they're effectively licensing a right to use. You know, in the, in the airport example, you said that would be licensing the traveler experience for the aviation vertical at airports being the physical venue. It would be no different if it was a stadium or arena. You could often license the fan experience for the sports vertical specific to stadiums and arenas. And we do that vertical by vertical, but on average, I think you see people that are renting one to 500,000, buying one to five million, and there's always you know exceptions on, on every rule. But that's probably a good way to tell people to think about is, to do it right, you're probably going to spend 150000 per application, per platform, uh, as a bare bones to do things the right way. Over what period of time? Well, it, just, it could be in, the, in version one uh, in what you do, and it could be just for an iOS smartphone, 
that could be $150,000 without even defining what are the feature sets and use cases. Again, to do it right, it could be the same with Android. And suddenly you could have 300,000 for two of them. And then you have to add probably 20% for an annual support maintenance subscription, because what happens, iOS and Android change throughout the year, you have to revise and update it. And then you still have to license all of the capability sets based on whatever features you may want. So that's why I say it's usually at the end of the day, all in for the first suite of an application portfolio on iOS and Android, you typically see people leasing the right to use between one to 500,000 per year, or you see people investing one to 5 million if they're really trying to go much, much more high end. Uh, and it really just depends on what kind of revenue or monetization they have as to where those budgets fit. Uh, and also just the desire. Some people don't have the time, money, inclination to figure out things. And if I was an ingredient provider and gave them sugar and flour and water and vanilla, they're like, look, I don't want to figure out how to be a baker. Just <laughs> give me yeah. something that works. We don't have the time, money, inclination to figure that out. And so what we do is stay agnostic and say, whatever you need, we'll help you out. And uh, ultimately, that's just to deliver the applications. And then the next step is after you've made them or brought them to life or leased them, then you have to do application discovery, user acquisition and audience building. That's usually media buying. And then each vertical has different monetization uh, once you build an audience. Uh, so it's not dissimilar when you think about a television commercial, you know, coming up with the idea building the commercial is one thing, paying to have it distributed and the airtime that goes with it are completely different. So. You know, this is significant amounts of money. Um, and so I, I want to later I want to get into actually going through several of these verticals and just talking about what's the what what is it that's justifying people spending uh, upwards of 150,000 to to uh, to one and a half million or more on an app. But before we get into that, can you just get, kind of give us some hope about uh, the fact that it's actually worth doing this, that, that if you build it, that people will come. And I think what you've said is if you build it, they won't necessarily come unless you need to spend more money on actual acquisition. But what is achievable in terms of people using your app? Because I, I kind of look at it as uh, almost like the lottery or, you know, loads of us want to be a movie star or we want to be a, um, you know, an NFL player. But the reality is most people aren't. And there's a litany of statistics that say that most apps that get built fail. They don't hit their business objectives and not enough people use them. So can you give us some hope as to why one should do that and what one can achieve? And I don't know what success is, but I'm sure you do. Sure. And, and the reality is why you see most things fail is that the concepts of how people are thinking about this are incomplete and they're setting themselves up for absolute failure before they ever even start. So when I think about defining mobile application lifecycle management, independent of your idea for an app, whether you're doing a game, whether it's a network or a show, clearly there are certain brands and certain content that have an advantage when they're providing it on mobile. For instance, if you're dealing in the sports vertical, there's only one National Football League, and if you wanna watch the National Football League on a mobile device, there's one application you're going to launch and there's one interface to it. <laughs> uh, barring them licensing, you know, to Twitter or someone else, you know, Thursday night games. 
But the reality is that you already have a captive audience. World Wrestling Entertainment has a captive audience of fans. Now, that doesn't mean you're guaranteed success in mobile. And let me use an analogy, um, you know, because I like to think about defining mobile application lifecycle management like a clock. 12, 3, 6, 9, and then back to 12. And what happens in most companies is everybody is siloed. Nobody is thinking about the problem holistically. You might have one think, I'm looking for use cases on, you know, what I need to do for the shopping experience at a mall. Someone else might be thinking, no, 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 I want to think about what the fan experience is like for me to watch instant replays at a stadium. Um, and someone say, I may need analytics. And someone else goes, no, 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 we need to get content. Nobody has a taxonomy that thinks holistically about what is it you're trying to do and why. And it would be like this. So if, if let's say you and I were challenged to build the next Mercedes sedan, we'll call it the S750, right? We'll make one up. Mm -hmm. So 12 o'clock would be you and I saying, okay, we've been tasked to design the S750 luxury sedan for Mercedes. We're going to come up with every feature, all of the horsepower, the engine, the amazing luxury we're going to put into it, and on and on and on. So think of that as defining the luxury Mercedes experience for the S750, and that's 12 o'clock. After 12 o'clock, you then migrate to 3 o'clock. And 3 o'clock would be now you and I take that idea, we go to the manufacturing plant, and we bring, bring that S750 to life on the production line. Um, well, in most corporate America, when you go backwards, uh, and now you define the way you would think about that in mobile, um, they would just say, we're done. And you'd go, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Like if we define the S750 sedan at 12, and now we went to three, and we manufactured it, don't you think we might have to go to six o'clock and take the cars to the dealerships so now you can build an audience of leasers and buyers. And then once you've done that successfully, you go from six to nine o'clock, which is the aftermarket, the warranty, the concierge service, and the closed loop experience of your interface with Mercedes, the manufacturer and your dealership. So that when you go from nine to 12 o'clock again, and you're done with the useful life of your car or the lease is up, that when you get back to 12 o'clock, you're going to buy the next Mercedes instead of an Audi, a Lexus, a BMW, or something else. So now, think applications on mobile using the same analogy. Well, most of corporate America, when they thought about things like digital transformation, they never really thought about, okay, well, that means the customer experience or the customer journey. And if I'm in the retail vertical, that would be about the shopper experience. When you're in the aviation vertical, that would be the traveler experience. When you're in the healthcare vertical, it's the patient experience and so forth. So in that place, you might have someone defined at 12 o'clock the most amazing mobile experience in the world for those patients or those fans or whoever that audience is. Use cases, feature sets, devices, operating systems, platforms. So that's 12 o'clock. We'll jokingly call that strategery. They may do that internally. They may use an agency of record. They may hire consultants. They may ask us for our thoughts and opinions. But at 12 o'clock, you define what's the most amazing mobile experience for my audience. Now, now that you've done that, you go from 12 to 3 o'clock. And then you have to do what? You have to bring that mobile experience to life in the form of a mobile application portfolio 
that houses that wonderful experience defined at 12. And where corporate America got it wrong for so long is they would stop. They would say, hey, we defined this great app. We built it. We're done. And you would say again, like the Mercedes analogy, no, you're just getting started. <laughs> now you've provided this application portfolio at three for that amazing experience at 12. So what do you have to do? You now have to transition to another part of your company who controls your media buying. And at six o'clock, you now have to facilitate app discovery, user acquisition, and audience building. So you can build a global user base around the world with media dollars as real investment in advertising and marketing, just like any other product or service. And that investment is going to now build an audience at six that uses the mobile application defined at three for that amazing experience defined at 12. Okay, so now we've done that. We're done. No, we're still not done. Now we go from six o'clock to nine o'clock because now that you've built an audience, you now have to do what? You have to engage and monetize the audience that was built at six, consuming that application portfolio at three, that's enjoying that amazing experience at 12. And then once you've done that, across the chief digital officer, typically doing 12 and three in terms of defining the experience and bringing it to life, typically they then hand off at six and nine to the chief marketing officer, and whether on direct buying or through agencies of record, what do they do? They're the ones who do the insertion orders and media buying to build the audience and then engage and monetize. And then finally, after all that, you take all the data that you've now captured through that whole process of usage. And now you do two things. You hand all that data to the chief revenue officer or the chief financial officer or whoever runs the profit and loss that goes along with that product. And they use that data for two reasons. One, to feed back to the chief digital officer how the engagement and monetization works so that they can optimize it and hopefully grow it for future releases. And most importantly, to figure out how people use it, what they like, what they don't, what they do before they get to a venue, what they do when they're on site, what they do after they leave, and how to feed that in to do the roadmap for version two and three and four. And that clock never stops. So 12, three, six, nine, and then back to 12, inclusive of the application portfolio, all of the media and all of the data. Now guess what I just did with mobile application lifecycle management. I reunified the entire C-suite so that nobody is operating, throwing things over the fence, but they're saying, this is our identity on mobile. We are going to succeed or fail by this. And we've defined it, we've brought it to life, we've built an audience, we've engaged and monetized, and we use data to make better decisions, and we continue that process. And honestly, if I went back to everyone that had an idea for an app, they think that, oh no, we'll just finish our application and it's gonna grow virally. The biggest brands on the planet with the biggest brand recognition on the planet I can assure you they're not virally building their mobile audiences even slightly. The only one that maybe does that would be like a dating app like Tinder. <laughs> mm -hmm. Outside of that, which could go viral, um, the reality is that every audience on the planet is bought and paid for with media dollars. And when people say, oh, you know, we don't have the budget for this, it's so expensive. No, you really do have the budget. You're just misallocating how much budget goes to mobile versus the mobile web versus social versus the internet. 
versus radio versus television versus print. And you see it on a Mary Meeker slide on the state of the internet once a year. Here is the massive $30 billion of spend that needs to shift. So think about it. 70% of all internet traffic is mobile. And you know what the spend allocation is to mobile in the Fortune 5000? It hasn't even hit 10%. So seven to one difference between audience and budget. It shouldn't be one to one, but it should be like two or three to one. And you should be spending 25 to 35% of your budget on mobile because 70% of the audience is in mobile and 90% of that audience are in applications. So I love, I've let you talk for a long time because it's really great stuff. And I love the metaphor and it speaks to many things. It speaks to, um, I mean, you, you, you tied it in with all the very senior stakeholders that need to buy into there. It speaks to the fact it's not just something you throw over the wall to the, the technology guy to, uh, to, to build. And you speak to the fact that this is, uh, this is actually a major endeavor that requires sustaining, building, sustaining, and iteration. There's so many things that could come from the metaphor that you use. But I do want to go back to the original kind of premise of the question, which was give us some optimism and some uh, basis for thinking that all of that work is worthwhile. What results have people actually got from, from spending the money and going around from 3 to sure. 6 to 9 to 12? So what I would say, though, is, you know, if you're an independent developer, you have your own idea. Um, the reality is that's like the gaming business where it's hit or miss. You're trying to pick a winner. I mean, even Rovio, right? Everybody knows about Angry Birds. Mm -hmm. Do you realize that that was about the 60th application attempt that they made with 59 failures before Angry Birds became a runaway success? Right. So the reality is, even before we started Funware, we thought, you know, let's set up a fund and we'll invest in applications. And that's the right way to benefit from the largest and fastest growing market in the world. But in reality, we realized, no, that, that's like a hit or miss. That's picking winners. That's like throwing a dart at a dartboard and praying that it's going to work. I mean, think of like, not even in mobile, think of like Minecraft. Who would have thought that a you know, graphics such as Minecraft would resonate worldwide. Who would have thought that Flappy Bird, not Angry Birds, which was this old, archaic, little, ridiculously difficult thing would just go crazy, right? I mean, those are like impossible things to guess. Mm -hmm. Now, doesn't mean you can't work really hard, have a good idea, get it started, and hope to make it into its own franchise, but again, Unless you have the budget to plan for it, bring it to life, launch it, engage and monetize it, and then take the data and learn from it. You know, take King and Candy Crush Saga. You know, they get down to a science. You know, we have all these customers, King, Machine Zone, Kabam, Disney, Warner Brothers, uh, everybody that does gaming. I can assure you everyone who does it well knows exactly what the value of a quote-unquote free user is. Mm -hmm. King and others will invest in 100 paid installs for user acquisition because they know that if three of them or four of them buy in-app virtual goods through Candy Crush Saga, it pencils with a good three-month ROI on the investment 
and you just keep plowing more money into that investment in new users until the math stops. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So it seems so, like there's two, maybe two classes of, uh, of app. Well, there's many classes, but I want to slice sure. it this way. One is the kind of the, the hits, which can be one hit wonders, or they yep. could be a, a franchise and it's a game. And then the other one is the, the kind of franchise where we're WWE or we're um, some um, a, a sports team or some, some essential uh, content or place that where an app, they've decided we need an app to be part of this. And it sounds like you can help both? Yeah, we so so you definitely can help both. And, and a lot of the stuff that we started with were in the passion verticals of media and entertainment and sports, because that's where the adoption started. Mm-hmm. It was our favorite shows, our favorite networks, our favorite teams, our favorite leagues, mm-hmm. <laughs> our favorite pastime, right? Um, the reality when you look at all those things is that every brand that's a Fortune 5000 company uh, should have its own branded identity, which is that high value touch point between their brand and their company and their anytime, anywhere users. And that is their livelihood. If, you know, I have four kids. If my kids look at your application, they don't like it. They, they don't care who built it, how much your budget was, whether you really worked hard at it or you didn't work hard at all. Mm-hmm. They just say, look, I like it or I don't. There's something in it utility-wise for me mm-hmm. and I need it or I don't. And if they don't, you're deleted and in mobile, and now for all these companies, that's a life or death scenario when 70% of the world's traffic is mobile. You know, this isn't back in 2009 when 2%. If you have someone delete your brand on their mobile device, you're in trouble. So there's a set of, yeah, there's, so there's a set of companies where having a mobile app just isn't an option. If I'm a television network and I don't have a mobile app, then something is deeply wrong with uh, what I'm doing. But there are other places where maybe the mobile app is more of a marginal uh, thing. And so, you know, I respectfully disagree, though. Okay. Everyone needs them. Let's go by vertical. So we know the gaming, but that's a one hit wonder or hit business or big companies and independents and all that other good stuff. But all of the monetization, typically a little bit of advertising or sponsorship, but predominantly it's about virtual goods. And that's the methodology of saying, where does the ROI come from? You're going to make an investment and you're going to monetize through the game, ideally through gameplay with virtual goods. And if not, maybe you're going to get a big enough audience that are tolerating, you know, sponsorship or advertising. Mm -hmm. Now, 
get out of that vertical and jump into media, entertainment, and sports. Typically, the monetization there uh, is very known. It's tied to your cable or satellite subscription where you have access to those networks or those shows, or it's tied to your season ticket package or something else, depending on if you physically go to these stadiums or you know, you're just consuming it through NFL Mobile or through Major League Baseball or, or whatever your favorite league is, right? So sports is kind of known. You have some like the Masters brought to you by IBM or American Express or the Olympic Games that are brought to you by a series of Olympic sponsors mm -hmm. uh, with the NBC Sports Live Extra application portfolio. So in those cases, you know, you might have a billion dollars of advertising and two thirds of a billion of digital rights and it's a live event uh, or it's an ongoing thing. Like once a year there's WrestleMania, but 12 months of the year, three times a week, 50 weeks of the year, there's live events. Mm -hmm. Smackdown, Monday Night Raw, you name it, all of it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that every one of those are either paid subscriptions like OTT, like the WWE Network or HBO Go, mm -hmm. direct to consumer, uh, or it's bundled in this traditional model of where you're paying for your subscriptions. Now, let's go to the ones you said that, hey, who the heck needs this in these other verticals? Okay, let's jump into insurance. Every insurance company needs one because all of us that might be for uh, life insurance, could be for homeowners insurance, could be auto insurance, claims, you name it, right? It's The ROI has nothing to do with the application except the application is a remote enabler to access the services that you're paying for through your premiums. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens with banking. So whether it's a brokerage like Charles Schwab or a bank like Wells Fargo, it's the same idea. But they're going to monetize not the fact that you're going to pay for the download or there's advertising or sponsorship. There's not a subscription. You're paying because of the methodology of your financial relationship, trading stocks, having deposits, transferring money, whatever it looks like. Mm -hmm. Now jump out of that and we get into healthcare. Okay, why would you need that? Well. I need the application to represent Kaiser or Cedar sinai or Dignity Health or Houston Methodist, where I am either one of two groups. I'm either a patient who use that to optimize the experience before I'm there, when I get there, after I leave, or I'm the doctor, the nurse, or the staff, the administrators that lose 25% of all scheduling because they don't have the right doctor, the right nurse, the right equipment, the right room at the right time. And if that doesn't happen, they lose on average each hospital, 8 million per hospital per year, mm -hmm. because 25% of us didn't show up and they can't invoice Medicaid, Medicare, or your health insurance plan. Mm -hmm. So their ROI is about a reduction in scheduling losses that they can quantify at 8 million per hospital, and if you're Kaiser with over 700 hospitals, mm -hmm. do the math and you'll see pretty quickly where that comes from. Mm -hmm. When you jump into retail, okay, now you start saying, I wanna drive in-store traffic to buy, I wanna drive online traffic to purchase, or in-app traffic to purchase, and they're going to make money by selling goods. And in each vertical, there isn't one you could tell me from you're a real estate investment trust or a property management firm. Well, of course you need mobile applications because if I'm going to your mall, 
I'm going to get the shopper experience like we do at the Grove in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a mixed-use facility like Brickell City Center in Miami where you're one of two audiences using the application. One, you're just going to shop. Or two, you bought a condominium. You were provisioned into the condominium as an owner. And you're not only going to use it for the shopping experience on site, but you're going to use it for your guest list, your package delivery, your trouble tickets, Mm -hmm. and every activity that you do as an owner within the condominium complex. Okay, so I think you've put a really good case as to why everyone should build an app, but reality and and theory aren't always aligned. And so, you know, I look at an airport and, you know, the, the, the CEO of the airport probably knows very little about mobile apps. They've got a marketing department, but they're focused on doing a certain kind of marketing, the, the posters, and uh, they're trying to sell parking and uh, drive people into concessions. But, um, you know, I, do, you, do they really have a right to win? If I'm an airport and I've got United Airlines, now I'm going to use an app in an airport and it's going to be United or Delta. Can we really expect, um, you know, a quarter of a million or a half million dollars to be spent from a, a medium-sized airport? I get Atlanta and DFW, maybe they would buy an app. But sure. is there really a, a case that can be made realistically for for airports to be building their own apps when you have Travelocity and you have United? Well, so I would suggest absolutely. And we work with lots of airports. Um, And, you know, it's not just about Dallas-Fort Worth uh, or Dubai International Airport. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about, you know, Fort Lauderdale Airport. So if you download the Fort Lauderdale Airport application, uh, they've not only invested in the applications, but they've invested in 1,500 Um, battery-powered physical beacons so that you can get sub-one-second blue dot experiences inside the airport no matter where you go Mm -hmm. because ultimately they want to know who the travelers are before they get to the airport, who they are while they're on site so that they can make their experience better, whether that's here's the services where you can go get a massage, here's the specials on food or drink, here's where you can go shopping, here's where you can get rest, here's where you can take a shower. Mm -hmm. Everything about your experience on site, when you have a better experience in those airports, people tend to fly through them more. Mm -hmm. And honestly, same thing of your experience on the airlines you pick. Mm -hmm. You use them or don't use them again based on how you feel as a passenger. So when you take extreme examples, you know, 100 million people go through the Dubai International Airport every year. And the team on site there only knows who 600,000 of those 100 million are. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. If you're the chief marketing officer, the chief digital officer, wouldn't you like to know who's coming? Wouldn't you like to know how to engage them Mm -hmm. for the benefit of everybody that's spending money to lease if you're food, beverage, shopping, services, staff. You also have, just like I said, the passenger side for you and I while we're flying. You also have for the facilities groups, for real-time crowdsource feedback where there might be problems, whether it's the bathroom, a disturbance, an issue, getting your TSA wait times, mm-hmm. more simply getting from parking, keeping track of where you parked, what services there are, how much time it takes, where you should route yourself through which TSA lines to get through quicker. There's so many things that can dramatically affect the value of what can happen in those touch points. So we see airports like Fort Lauderdale, airports like Toronto, 
uh, Pearson, um, that are by no means, you know, Chicago or Atlanta or Dallas-Fort Worth as a hub. Mm-hmm. And they do these, and it's dramatically altering the way they think about things. As a country, um, take the most extreme example. You know, the budget for the 2020 World Fair in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai is $75 billion. Of that, $25 billion is for technology. Do you not think that on an investment like that, that people really want to know how you're going to download an application so that you can know about them before they get to Dubai's airport, while they're on site, everything through Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the other Emirates, it's a really big deal. And when people are saying, well, oh my gosh, like one to five million a year, let's say even that, wow, that's millions of dollars. Think about it though. If, If you went to Las Vegas and you're the Wynn Hotel, you just spent $2 billion on the casino, $2 billion on AT&T Stadium. So you're investing in the physical world with a brand identity that is immaculate, the best of the best of the best. At the Wynn, it would be when they used to have you know the Ferrari dealership, they would have Picassos. Mm-hmm. It is the highest end physical branding ever seen. So what would be the approach on mobile or digital or virtual that you should do it similarly to have brand consistency in the virtual and mobile world like you do in the physical? Or should the wind say, you know what, we should really invest in mobile like it's a beat up used truck sales dealership in the middle of the hotel or a child's finger paint instead of the Picasso. Yes. There cannot be a disconnect between the physical and the mobile world because 70% of those engagements and touch points, whether it's a casino, whether it's a mall, whether it's a museum, they're going to be through those mobile devices. Yeah, that's a case well made. Um, let's, let's get into the weeds a little bit, um, get, do some more inside baseball um, on technology. This is the Mr. Beacon podcast. So uh, you mentioned beacons. And I think actually the first time I found you guys was you had a partnership years ago with Zebra, who did some interesting stuff in, uh, in beacons. Um, it's, a, it's a big, complicated market. But what's your view of it? Um, are Bluetooth beacons uh, an important part of uh, linking that kind of virtual world with the physical world or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see that, um, you know, whether you have a stadium or whether you have a retail store uh, or whether you have a museum, everything is identical. You have to figure out how do I engage people before they're here? How do I engage them when they're on site? How do you engage them when they leave? By default, that means you're going to be using GPS outdoors the way you're used to using Apple and Google Maps. Uh, to get that blue dot experience from mapping, navigation, wayfinding, um, triggers with geofences. You're within a five-mile radius of a mall, so come, we're going to have specials because it's light traffic day or whatever. So all these things feed on themselves, but when you finally go from outdoors to indoors, you transition off a longitude-latitude GPS-based system with an X and a Y coordinate to an indoor environment where most things go blind. Well, the way you avoid going blind is you have higher low density Wi-Fi, so you can hand off from GPS to Wi-Fi, and then you hand off from Wi-Fi to physical or virtual beacons. Mm -hmm. And what that does is give you 
increasingly more granularity, but you also get an X, a Y, and a Z coordinate because now you know whether you're on the first floor or the 55th floor of that building. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can actually activate workflow and policy enforcement and asset management and loyalty points and marketing interactions mm -hmm. and messaging and reminders and advertising and all sorts of amazing things specific to those from very small to very large geofences, which all depend on sub one second updates. So outdoors, you get that already. But when you go indoors, the fastest Wi-Fi in the world will refresh only every 10 seconds, which is great, but that's nine seconds too slow. Mm -hmm. So physical beacons with battery get you down to sub one second. Virtual beacons, which is more like one per access point, uh, that'd be more like three to five seconds. Mm -hmm. And so a combination of things like our software with whatever hardware, whatever network is or isn't available, what may be working well or not working well, you have to take all those inputs and make them seamless so that your experience on mobile is fantastic. You don't need to know why and how it works. You just need it to work. So you, uh, you referenced virtual beacons there, which I think is the first time I've heard someone raise that uh, who hasn't been, you know, working at MIST or Cisco. Um, uh, are you seeing that? I, I think it's a great concept. Uh, are you seeing any traction with virtual beacons? Yeah, I mean, it, just think about it from a management perspective. So in uh, an instance like Fort Lauderdale that I was mentioning or other airports um, and other museums, they, they want to use physical beacons. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It could be more cost-effective. Um, there's a lot of battery management. There's a lot of overhead and maintenance that goes along with that because they're useful until someone yanks it off the wall. They're useful until the battery goes dead or there's a hardware problem. Mm -hmm. And that's great. The flip side is virtual beacons make that um, easier to manage, but it's a more expensive solution. And so it really depends on the environment, the use cases, the ceiling heights, you know, what you do at a Home Depot or Lowe's or Costco or a stadium is quite different from what you would do at, you know, a, a normal uh, business or office or environment where you're not dealing with those kind of challenges. So I think that from our standpoint, you know, we're an enterprise software company. So when you think about people saying the Internet of Things, that's the sensors, the chips, the connected devices, the networking gear and the network, Funware is really like the software of things. Taking all this software, putting them into applications to show off the amazing value of those sensors mm -hmm. and chips and devices, networking gear and networks. And all of that should be transparent, just like you and I right now, you know, we're using voice over IP mm -hmm. through Skype. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter. Could have been voice over cable, could have been CDMA, TDMA, GSM, cell phone. Who cares? Could have been a landline. It's just we're talking. It works. All is good. How so, it's happening, who cares? So beacons are on this continuum. I think you've done a great job of positioning that. Um, and part of the Nirvana is, I mean, so many use cases about getting the, the customer to the right place, getting them to the concession or seeing what their dwell time is in a, in a store. I can measure the dwell time of where they are in the store without them using a map. But do you think, um, I mean, do, is it viable for brands to deploy 
uh, wayfinding, navigation, and blue dot in their app with when you're essentially competing against Google Maps and Apple Maps that really seem to, they seem to be doing a pretty good job and they have quite a focus on indoor mapping. What are your thoughts on that? Well, so Google's Google, you know, Apple's Apple. Um, the reality is that um, it's not hard to crush them indoors, honestly. You know, we had to beat Google head to head for all of Kaiser's business in the United States. So here's the use case they have to be able to solve if they want to do these kind of things. You know, driving trucks by a building and sampling access points and trying to reverse engineer what's happening is very different than having a multi-layer vector map with enterprise points of interest. And no matter how great Apple and Google are, they're inherently biased to want people in the Apple ecosystem or the Google ecosystem. We're agnostic and don't care about any of those. So the first challenge is grandma is at the bottom of a basement she needs to get to the fourth floor to get an x-ray because she's going for her appointment. So the network doesn't exist. There is no hardware, no physical beacons, no virtual beacons, no higher low density Wi-Fi. Everything's gone wrong. The bandwidth has failed. You're near the basement where it's all metal. Take your pick. It sounds horrific. Get grandma to the fourth floor with turn by turn directions. Oh, and by the way, Grandma is blind, so she has a hearing impairment, and she's also deaf. I'm sorry, so both blind and deaf, so hearing impaired, visually impaired. Okay. Ready, go. Solve that. So that was why we won Kaiser and why others don't, because you have to be able to solve for no network, no gear, visual impairment, hearing impairment, and have a seamless turn-by-turn -turn set of directions. So when you really look at outdoors, and we stitch all of our indoor mapping functionality and capability right into iOS and Android, right on top of Google and Apple Maps on their API, because people are used to using them. But then in ours, you can zoom right in, go right through the roof, go through the different levels. And also when you talk about accuracy, I think Google and Apple Maps will probably get to maybe a meter of accuracy indoors assuming you're using Apple-specific beacons on the Apple side or Google-specific things on the other side, uh, whereas most consumers use both. If you're a brand, mm -hmm. you can't pick, like, what are you going to assume? Everyone's going to have an iPhone that goes to your mall? Mm -hmm. Of course not. Or everyone's just going to have an Android device? Of course not. So their desire to lock everybody into their vertical walled garden is why our stuff works better. Mm -hmm. And also, when you're getting down to one to five centimeters of accuracy, that's very different than one meter of accuracy. In fact, go to Google Maps and zoom in. Zoom in as much as you humanly can and test your theory about indoors. Mm -hmm. And it stops. You can only zoom so much. Mm -hmm. And if you said, zoom me down to one to five centimeters, mm -hmm. not possible. Struggles to even get to a meter but you're not saying that you get down to five centimeters. I mean, it seems like one meter is pretty good if you're trying to navigate around um, public infrastructure and so forth. Um, yeah. How, how, how did you get grandma, the deaf, blind uh, grandmother who doesn't have a smartphone out of the basement with no wireless coverage? I was trying yeah, to Yeah, so actually that. the solution to that is that because we also aren't just a point solution, we're the entire ecosystem in one company, yeah. we yep. can draw from every single thing we have available across everything in our tech stack simultaneously. So what we do is we know that 
when grandma in that instance first downloaded the mobile application to even get it on her phone to do that, she had to have what? Been connected at the time to download the application. Mm -hmm. So once it's on her phone and download, we're smart about downloading all the multi-layer vector maps, all the workflow, all the guidelines, all the turn-by-turn directions, and everything that goes along with those multi-layer vector maps and routes, including what routes are possible for visual or hearing impaired, including what pieces of the building are static or dynamic. And once we know that all that payload has been downloaded when you downloaded the application, then the nuclear scenario, if there is no network, there is no hardware, is grandma can open it up and it can ask her, where are you at right now? Mm -hmm. And she can pick that I'm in the basement. Where are you going? I'm going to the fourth floor. And then instantly she can follow the turn-by-turn directions walking down the hall over to the elevator, get to the fourth floor, and walk every single thing along the way, inclusive of, in her cases, because of the hearing and visual impairment, the actual vibrations in her hand as she's walking five paces to get to where she needs to and can interact through either um, uh, flashes Mm -hmm. uh, or if you're dealing with situations of of only, let's say, um, uh, hearing impaired but not visual. Mm -hmm. And then vice versa, you can deal with uh, touch where you're actually doing um, static feedback and things like that. Totally makes totally. sense. So you're, I mean, that's the advantage that you have is you're solving for a given venue and a set of specific use cases, whereas, you know, Apple and Google, they're trying to have one app that works everywhere for everything. And uh, so it does make sense that you could, you could do a better job of solving that wayfinding problem um, and, and hopefully integrating maybe even with the hospital's enterprise apps and scheduling. And I mean, the dream for me is not having to wait in that line when I get into the doctor's surgery. If I could just arrive sure. and I just get checked in, I think you'd have a huge number of people using that app because it just saves them a huge amount of pain and delivers some real value. Right. So- and also the Apple and Google Maps indoors, the fundamental thing it needs to provide is a trigger, and it's not. And what you need to do is to say, okay, based on you being in some location, you may need the best interaction with you is to reward you with loyalty points that you can use later for freebies. The best interaction for me might be a digital or physical offer to buy something. For someone else, it might just be to activate content. For someone else, it could be a marketing automation or geoconquesting type of use case. So we think of the entire planet as very small geofences. In fact, the fun where you know, logo, you see a circle with a PW inside, that's meant on purpose to define a geofence. And the question is, what of 50 different interactions do you want to trigger? Because the ultimate goal that we care about, and we now have over 2 billion Funware IDs, which are over 800 million monthly active user devices through more than 5,000 application portfolios of the Fortune 5,000, the ultimate holy grail is what we're way along the way on, which is one-to-one indoor-outdoor targeting and triggering based on who you are, where you're at, what you're doing, what you like, what you don't, who you know, who you avoid, your value to the brand in real time so that the brand can determine how to best interact or ignore you and you can get the most optimal interaction for who you are and what you care about. And that requires you to think holistically about 
everywhere in the world you've seen somebody, physical venues, malls, airports, hospitals, virtual venues, you know, the NBC Sports Live Extra app, the CW Network, CBS, or anything else, or live events, the Oscars, the Grammys, the World Cup, the Olympic Games. Where have we seen you? What do we know about you in the real-time world, the virtual world, the physical world? How do we wrap all that together so that every single interaction, when you and I walk into Starbucks, we each get treated differently. When you and I walk into Home Depot, it changes again. When you and I go to a mall, it changes again. When we show up in Vegas, I might be viewed as a whale. You might be viewed as an attractive demographic. So you're going to get some offers to test that. And everyone does this every day. And what we're doing is enabling the entire mobile application lifecycle management of all of these things at once. Not trying to say like, people want to say, uh, what's the silver bullet? You know, what's the panacea? The reality is that's different for every human being on earth. Mm-hmm. And it changes brand by brand, team by team, content, all of it. And what you need to be able to do is to let people be who they are and engage with your brand in the way they care about doing it. My mom may only care about interacting with Kohl's through her Kohl's bucks. That's great. I may only care about one show on Discovery Channel. You might like the whole network. Let people be who they are. And what you see the biggest mistakes is most people try to come up with what's this use case that's going to trigger everything. There, there is no nirvana. There is no silver bullet. There's no panacea. It's not like when you say, I love a Tesla sedan. Mm-hmm. W- what does that mean? You like the brand? You like the speed? You like that it's gas free? You like the beautiful display? You like all of it? There's always different motivations about why people buy and and interact with things the way they do. Our goal is to take advantage of all the investments people made in their brands and activate them and let people be who they are so that their application is almost created and dynamically transforms as if it was built for no one other than just you. Yeah, I remember when the term mass customization first became kind of popular, and and that was a few decades ago, and they were kind of thinking about making a specific bicycle for a specific person. But really, it seems like the mobile app is the ultimate way of of mass customizing experiences. Um, And uh, I think you've done a great job um, of making the case for why mobile's strategic, and you've got some pretty good evidence given your your customers. So. uh, um, I've got loads of questions I'd love to ask you, but I think we're running out of time. Uh, I'm going um, uh, to just uh, thank you very much for uh, spending time with us, Alan, and, uh, uh, and making the case for um, why apps are so important. And for those of us that are in the widget business, it's good to know what the rest of the machine is, uh, is looking like. And uh, you guys have certainly had a lot of success making it happen. Well, thank you very much for having me and uh, happy to come on another time and continue the discussion if you'd like to. Very good. Are you into music? Are you a musical guy or not? Well, I can't play music or sing music, but I love music. Wow. <laughs> and what uh, what do you like to listen to? So if you had to like take three songs on a long journey to Mars or um, to uh, San Diego, to your office here, 
what, what would the three songs be if you could only have three? Well, when I when I think about the artists uh, versus the songs, and then the, you know I like just about everything they do. It's uh, Jimmy Buffett, Bob Marley, and The Offspring. <laughs> All right. So I can literally you know get down to the Florida Keys, crank on some Buffett and Marley, and just go into a different world. And then I need to get kind of get pumped up, get back in the swing of things, go back to The Offspring. Uh, you know they just have immense amount of great stuff i like everything that they do <laughs> but if you had to choose one offspring song what would that be uh probably separated okay separated so, and, and one um jimmy so buffett jimmy song? buffett i'd probably go with margaritaville uh it, it changes in attitudes changes in latitudes one of those two but it go back and forth i love uh, but margaritaville's vintage with bob marley uh don't worry, uh, every the old thing is going to be all right. You know, just all right. Every little bit of uh, you know, I even went to school with uh, Bob Marley's kit at the University of Miami. He was a middle linebacker, as like a five foot eight guy. It was crazy. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> There's an amazing documentary on Bob Marley. I think it's on Netflix, and uh, just uh, kind of tragic that uh, seems like so preventable his death if he'd had good. Uh, treatment dying of toe cancer i mean yeah who would have thought it it, exactly (laughs) all right okay so um that was great deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.